starting this series. I don't know if you can relate to this statement or not, but I know for me, there have been times in my life where I've looked around and I have felt like that I had no one that I could call on. I don't know, have you been there too? I have had moments in my life where I have needed something, I have needed someone, I have needed some kind of help. I maybe was struggling with something very specific, and I looked around and I felt like I don't have anyone who could help me, anyone I could connect with. There was a particularly dark time in my life at one season, and during that time, I was in a big old house, and I was all by myself, all alone, all alone. Had never, I lost my phone alone ever in my life, and I was alone. And you know what happened? Sure enough, I lost my phone, and I could not find my phone anywhere, and I went, and here's when I really realized how utterly alone I was in that moment, I had absolutely, for the first time in my life, no one. I could go to another room in the house, but there was no one there. It was empty. I had no one that I could say to, hey, I need you to call my phone, and I'm going to walk over here and listen for it to ring and go find it. I had no one who could help me find my phone. The house was empty. I looked at my dog, Max, (laughs) and Max just kind of tilted his head (laughs) as if to say, well, (laughs) what am I going to do? What do you want me to do to help you? It was a struggle, and that was the first moment I realized I didn't have anyone in my life at that moment, that very specific moment, that could help me. It was so easy with COVID. The early days of COVID, when everything kind of first started going down in uh, March of 2020, it seemed like in that moment, the whole world just really stopped and everybody went home instantly, all like that. I mean, many places, like in Arkansas, we did that before COVID really actually even showed up. And we just, all over the country, we just shut down and everybody went home maybe really all over the world. And for the first couple of weeks, man, that was really pretty sweet, actually. I mean, goodness, I didn't have to mess with Walmart craziness, right? That was really nice. I enjoyed that. There were much less irritating drivers on the road in the interstates. It was pretty great. You know, I loved it for a couple of weeks. Uh, For some of that time, I was working away from home even, and we were tucked back in the middle of the Washita National Forest. Wow, doing work from there, that view, that scenery was awesome, and I was still getting all my work done. I loved it. With all of that isolation, it was just too easy, though, to let relationships kind of slip away. You know, we're a proud people pretty much in the United States, and we like to say that we're independent. And there's nothing wrong with the independence. I mean, it's good to be a self-starter, and it's good to be a go-getter. That's a good thing. That's not bad. But isolation, isolation is actually dangerous, because with isolation, When we're accountable to ourselves, we usually cut ourselves too much slack. Yeah, we may be hard on ourselves, 
But honestly, self-loathing, that's what we usually do. And that's not the same thing as accountability. We usually count ourselves too much, give ourselves too much slack. Or maybe this, with isolation, we find ourselves in a situation where we just kind of have to white-knuckle life. We just grab on till our knuckles turn white, and we try to handle everything ourselves. And that's not independence either. That is isolation. All we have left to do is just do better, try harder, work harder. But it seems when we're isolated and we're doing that all by ourselves that it's never really enough for us to get done ultimately what we're hoping for. And the truth is, I know better than to be isolated. But the reality is, I am broken. And my personal broken view of myself and the way I view my life, it leads me on an easy path toward isolation, even though God has actually hardwired me for relationships. You know, I know that it takes some specific and some special types of relationships to help me grow in life. I know this, so why do I avoid them? You know, relationships are powerful voices that influence our lives. And everyone here this morning, we all have voices in our lives that influence us. Now, if we are in isolation then that means we have one primary voice, and that's our own voice. But sometimes we will intertwine our lives with other voices of people, and maybe those people are walking away from Jesus. And I think we can safely call those the wrong voices, and those voices also draw us away from Jesus. We get twisted into the wrong relationships. And when we're in the wrong relationships and twisted into those relationships, they really become a snare, a trap. They really become something that will just enslave us if it's the wrong relationship. And ultimately, that's going to harm us. You know, my worst mistakes in life have either been when I was isolated, when I had isolated myself, and then I wasn't strong at all. I I was just a single Harley, and I could just snap. And so I found myself, when I'm isolated, I'm not accountable to anyone, and I was very weak, and it was easy for me to break at the wrong time, at the wrong place, in the wrong way. Or... My largest mistakes have been with being intertwined, but with the wrong people. And so instead, it was trapping me. It was really making me a prisoner. But when we choose to intertwine ourselves in the right relationships, with the right voices... People who are actually chasing after Jesus. Well then, the right voices in those relationships will actually build my life and help to build my life 
stronger because they're helping to build my life upon the foundation of Jesus. You see, twisted into a rope with the right voices, that will actually make me stronger. And you know what? Ultimately, that's God's design. That's why we're doing this series. That is God's design. That is His plan for our lives. That we be twisted together, chasing after Jesus. And that's where we get the name for this series. Twisted. Stronger together by design. Now, I believe that God has some very special and very specific relationships that He desires that we twist into our lives, our lives and their lives. And this week, I want to talk about one of those relationships. Now, I know this is true for me. The seasons in my life where I have been the most successful, where I have been the best version of myself, I had twisted my life with another life, and this other life was a very specific kind of relationship. It was a voice of growth, a voice of challenge. And that person was measuring me, challenging me, and they were also cheering me on. So I want to give you today's bottom line right off the bat. Here it is. McKinley will have it on the screen. We might be good from our experience, but only our best from theirs. Let me say that again. We might be good from our experience, but only our best from theirs. So that's important. Twisted, stronger together by design. And this morning we're talking about twisting our lives with a very specific kind of person, a voice of growth, a voice of challenge, a voice of measurement. We all need a strong Christ-following coach. Now, this morning I want to take several snapshots out of Scripture, and we're going to look at those and kind of analyze that and see what we can learn. Snapshot number one, let me kind of give you the beginning of this. We're going to be talking about a guy named Paul today, part of the time. Paul was someone in the beginning who hated, hated Christ-followers. He hated them. Paul was a Jew. He hated Christ followers. He had them arrested when he could. He had them tortured when he was able. He even had many of them killed just because they were following Jesus. He hated Christ followers until one very specific day when he came face to face himself with Jesus. Now Jesus, who was later went and died on the cross and then walked out of that tomb three days later. Paul didn't believe it happened until he saw Jesus alive face to face, just like all the other Christ followers had said that he's alive. And from that moment on, Paul began to chase after Jesus himself. And Paul also began twisting his life together with other people who were chasing after Jesus. Now, as Paul got a little stronger, a little more mature, Paul began to go on these trips where he would go through different regions, other parts of the countries, other countries, and Paul would begin starting new churches of people who were chasing after Jesus too. 
That's Paul. He went on many of these trips. Now, we're going to pick up a part of Scripture here where Paul is on his second trip where he has, is going to go and start churches. All right, let's read some of this. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple, meaning a follower of Jesus, named Timothy. So this is where, for the first time, we're introduced to this young man named Timothy, a young man who's following Jesus. He goes on. Paul, uh, the, the writer of Acts goes on. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, side note here, it seems though uh, from the text that something was going on between Timothy, who was also a follower of Jesus, like his mother was a follower of Jesus, but his father was not. His father was a Greek. They were Jews. But his father could have followed Jesus, but for some reason, we don't know why his father didn't. And something about this text makes it appear that there was a rift, some, uh, some kind of relationship rupture between Timothy and his father. They were distanced. It goes on. Verse 2. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So, so far what we know is Timothy's a believer and a follower of Jesus, and he's a good guy. He is well thought of. He is a good young man. Now, so far, we're talking about Timothy in his own experience, in his effort. So we can say that he was a good guy, well thought of, all right? Verse 3, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey, on this trip. So now Paul is going to now Timothy is going to twist his life into a relationship with Paul. And Paul is going to kind of step in now, because Timothy's a good father figure would do. Paul steps into Timothy into Timothy's life, and Paul is going to begin to coach Timothy. This is a very specific type of relationship that they're entering in. Paul is going to coach him, going to become Timothy's mentor. And I like that word coach. That's why we're using it. I love that word coach because it implies that Timothy is voluntarily submitting himself under the authority of his coach. He's choosing to do that. A coach can't come in and demand that authority. No, Timothy is making a choice to submit to the leadership of his coach. Now, here comes his first big test. We're going to go on. Verse 3 goes on. In deference to the Jews of the area. So this is, he's saying, all right, as, as Luke is writing this, he's saying, okay, Paul's kind of deferring to an option here for the Jews. He arranged for Timothy, young adult man, by the way, Timothy, to be circumcised before they left on this trip. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Don't let this slip by you too quickly. Wowzy. I mean, yikes. What a test. <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, I have never had a coach or a mentor demand that I have a very sensitive surgery in order for me to go and follow them and be a and, and let them be my mentor, let them be my coach so that I could be trained by them. But here, that's what Paul does. Now, it's important to note that Paul did not require this of Timothy because it wasn't 
necessary. It was the old law. They didn't have to do that anymore. No longer did they have to do that. It was so that, very specifically, so that Paul could keep an open door, friend that was leadership position with this new church that was being started, largely started with Jewish people who were beginning to follow Jesus. And he wanted to keep that door open so they wouldn't shut that door and close that leadership opportunity away from Paul so he could continue to work with them and help them grow. And they might close that door if Paul had with him on his team an uncircumcised Jew. So that's why he did it. And it goes on. Timothy submits to that. Verse 4. Then they went from town to town instructing believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. In other words, they went on and saw some great success. Timothy voluntarily submitted to the authority of Paul, his new coach. And Timothy, because of that, he got to go on this journey and be a part of some really amazing things. Everything that Paul did, Timothy was there and got to see it and be a part of it. Timothy was in the process now of moving beyond just being a good young man, and he was on his way to becoming someone great. And it was not because of his own experience, but it was because of the experience of his coach. You know, we might be good from our own experience, but only... Only our best from theirs. And here's what we find out in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened. Strengthened in their faith. And what happened? They grew larger every single day. And Timothy got to be a part of that. Because he chose to have his life twisted together with Paul's, his coach. So Timothy is with Paul now for years and years. He's with him for this entire trip where they're starting churches. And then he's with Paul for the next trip that Paul goes out and starts churches. And Timothy is learning and he's being coached. And then after six years of those trips, Timothy now begins to pastor in one of those churches that Paul starts. And Timothy has now been, as we catch up with him now in the story, Timothy has been pastoring in that church for about four years. And it's one of the churches that Paul started. And this is where we get snapshot number two. Now this happens, lives are twisted together. So now Timothy and Paul have been twisted together in this relationship, in this life, for about 10 years. Six years on the road, and now four years uh, long distance through letters. Snapshot number two. Paul is still coaching, but now from a distance. And so Timothy now, 10 years later, is still choosing to submit his life under the authority and the leadership of his coach, Paul. But now the circumstances are less than ideal. In fact, it's not good at all. Paul's in prison. And it's not one of those uh, first century cozy uh, house arrest situations that happen from time to time to some of the followers of Jesus. No, no, no. This was 
worse. Paul was in the real deal prison. This prison happened to be underground. The only way to get into that prison was to be lowered through a tiny hole about the size of a toilet seat. And they would lower you through the ground into that hole of a prison. And there you were. And it was horrible. Uh, it, it, they were there in their own filth and mess. And, and, and occasionally a spring would kind of rise up and flood that area. And they would be waist deep, knee deep in water, just standing there, sitting there in water and their own waste. It was not a good place at all. It was miserable. But it's from that place that Paul fires off another, his last letter to Timothy. Because Paul soon will be put to death, executed by the emperor Nero. But until then, Paul continues this coaching process with Timothy. And Timothy continues to listen. And Paul's been a good coach to Timothy. Timothy has moved from good toward great. Because he's kept his life twisted with Paul's, his coach. Now let's look at this relationship and let's see if we can get some nuggets that we could use in our lives today in this coaching uh, and, and the one being trained relationship, this relationship with a coach. We have this in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 2, you've heard me teach uh, things that have been confirmed by many witnesses. Paul is saying, listen, I, I've been your coach. I've been teaching you the truth. And here's one thing we need to begin to understand. In our relationship with a coach, someone who's chasing after Jesus, we need a coach that is going to constantly point us toward the truth of Scripture. Scripture, And then we need a coach in our lives who themselves are devouring Scripture and then challenging us to do the very same thing in our own lives, to devour Scripture. And here's what Paul says. He goes on. He says, now, Timothy, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. We need in our lives a coach that, uh, that digests this truth in Scripture. If we are to have a coach that does not, if we have a coach that's not pointing us to Scripture, that is not he himself or herself devouring Scripture, then we have the wrong coach. Because everything about the development of our character and our integrity is found within Scripture. We don't need pop psychology or pop management or pop leadership. But we do need God's wisdom. And we need a coach that is going to continually point our lives towards that truth. So here's the first nugget. McKinley will put it on the screen. We need a coach who constantly points us to God's truth. That's what we need. Here's what he says now in verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. 
You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And verse 17, God uses it to prepare and to equip His people to do every good work. And so we need a coach in our lives that's going to point us constantly. They themselves are devouring it, and they're also pointing our lives to Scripture. We need that. Now, you know, Paul said something before that passage. I want to jump backwards just a bit. Listen to what Paul says here in Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you, Timothy, he says, certainly you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. He's saying, you know this, Timothy. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. In verse 11, he says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. I'm talking about 420. I'm talking about Paul, they took the big rocks and they tried to kill him and crush him. I mean, stoning was no small thing. Often in this culture, they would drag people to the edge of the city and they would kind of push them off a small cliff, hoping to break their legs so they couldn't get away. And so with them immobilized, then they would take rocks the size of softballs up to around like bowling balls, what they could pick up, and they would hurl them down at that person to crush them, to crush their skull. That was the goal. Not to hurt them. They wanted to crush their head open. And there was a group of people who did that to Paul. And they thought... They had him dead, which means it was gruesome. They thought he was dead, and then they left. But Paul hadn't died. He was just barely alive. Timothy knew this. Timothy was aware of this. Paul is saying, Timothy, you have seen my life. You know my life. You know all about my life. You have had inner access to everything I have gone on. You know me. You know me, Timothy. And Timothy did know all about his coach. Paul goes on. He says, you know all about how I was persecuted. So he say, Timothy, you know. You know everything about me. And then he goes on. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. And here's what we need to understand. A good coach isn't just teaching us something he knows. He's teaching us, or she is teaching us, something that they have lived. And they become a great example for us to follow. Verse 12, Paul says, yes. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We might be good from our own experience, but only our best from theirs. And so all of that leads us to nugget number two. McKinley will put that on the screen. We need a coach. We need a coach who lives that truth themselves. They're living it. All right. There's another big part of what this coaching relationship looks like. 
and it's this. It's really when we get to the point where we're allowing a coach to help to fix our weaknesses and to fix our personal fatal flaws. So not only did Timothy know his coach really well, but Paul, the coach, knew Timothy really well. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy out. He calls him out on some weaknesses, some troubles. You see, Timothy was inexperienced, and he was under pressure as a young leader. And he didn't know kind of how in that pressure to step up and to begin to lead people. It was a weakness, and Paul helped him and called him out on it, and then helped him do it. Uh, in that first letter, Timothy was also, he was focusing on other things. Timothy was also not taking care of himself physically, and Paul called him out and helped him. And then in that second letter that Paul wrote from that prison cell, which would be his last, it seems that Paul understood that Timothy was hanging on to fear. And Paul called him out and helped him with that and corrected that. Timothy had moments when he was ashamed of Paul in that state that he was in, in that nasty prison. And there were moments when Timothy was even ashamed, apparently, of the gospel and maybe even of Jesus Christ. And Paul calls him out on that horrible flaw in his life. And he calls him out and he helps him. Yeah, Timothy had some weaknesses. Timothy had some flaws. You see, weaknesses in our lives, they're things where maybe we operate from a distinct disadvantage. That's a weakness. But a flaw is much more serious. It's a moral defect. It's serious. It's a moral defect that could completely sideline us in this life. It could actually eventually ruin us in this life. And Timothy had a coach who would speak directly to him in those areas of his life. And you know what? It's still a voluntary relationship. It takes humility for Timothy to allow that to happen. But you know what happens so often to us? Our pride shuts that door. And we won't listen. We won't allow that. We won't allow someone to speak that truth into our lives. And so we just stay broken. But if we'll have humility, it allows the right voice to challenge us. We often push back from that, though, because we prefer to be accountable to ourselves. We don't want to be accountable to that person. We want to be accountable to ourselves. But I already said that. When I'm accountable to myself, it really usually doesn't work out because I cut myself too much slack. Yeah, I may, I may self-loathe and I may hate myself, but when it comes right down to it, I'm going to accept my excuses and I'm going to cut myself slack. So here's the last nugget. We need a coach who will call out our weaknesses and call out our flaws. You know, as men, let me speak to the men for a moment. As men, typically we have three uh, uh, 
a, a, a fatal flaw in one of three areas. There are others, but this is a generalization for men. Our fatal flaws are going to come in the form of gold, glory, or girls. Gold, the, the chasing after money and wealth, or things. Glory, that pride. More and more, better and better. I, 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 it's all about me and, and how people view me and see me. And girls, speaks for itself. Ladies, if we could make a generalization, some of the biggest flaws that I have read about, I haven't been there as a lady, obviously, but as I have read about, some of the biggest flaws that you might face might be pride, might be self-image, and might be discontentment. In other words, just not being content in life or in a relationship. Not, it, and it could go many, and there are many others for all of us. There are many other flaws. That's just what some writers have narrowed down to three large areas for me. But I know that may be one for you. It may not be. But I know this. If I will submit my life to a coaching relationship and intertwine my life with theirs, my coach can help me fix those weaknesses and they can help me fix those flaws. Because I know this, we need to answer to someone. It always moves us toward our best. And Timothy invited that feedback. He invited it. He welcomed it. He asked for it. And to do that, it requires humility and it requires submission. It requires being authentic and being transparent. Many things of which that most of us are not good at. But it requires. And yes, we're still going to fall no matter the coaching relationship that we have, no matter who is challenging us or motivating us or cheering for us or holding us accountable, we are still going to fall. But with a coaching relationship, we learn to fall forward. And we get back up and we dust off and we go again and we learn to fall forward. We might be good from our own experience, but only our best from theirs. And this is where Paul was leading Timothy. Timothy, who got better, and he got better, and he got better. And he stayed in that coaching relationship with Paul until Paul died. And he followed his coach's example. And Paul goes on to write this. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He knew he was going to be dying and he wouldn't come out of that prison. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. He's not saying he's been perfect. He's saying every time I fell, I got up and I kept following Jesus. Verse 8. And now the prize awaits me. 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. We might be good from our own experience, but only our best from theirs. By God's design today, just to say this, by God's design in relationships, we need a Paul. We need a Paul in our lives. And the first thing I would just simply ask you to do today is just to admit that we need a Paul. We need that. Would you just simply begin to have a conversation with God and say, I I." believe. I I need that coach in my life. I need that relationship. I need to be twisted into that relationship. I can only get so far on my own. Maybe good. But if I want to be my best, the best version that you have for me, God, I need that relationship like Paul had with Timothy. I need a Paul. Here's the next thing. I would encourage you to make an actual list, to take out a piece of paper and a pen this week and to begin making a list of some people that you know that are the same sex that you are, that are chasing after Jesus, that you can just tell by their lives and by watching them from a distance, you can tell that person is chasing after Jesus. Not perfect. No, that's not what we're looking for. But I can see that that person loves Jesus more than they love themselves. They're chasing after Jesus. And would you make a list of those people that are in and around your life? Would you make that list? It may be a very short list. Or it may be a pretty good size list. But would you make that list? And then here's what I want you to do. Would you... Choose somebody or more than one. It doesn't matter. Will you choose at least somebody off that list and begin asking them for input into your life about some specific things or specific areas in your life? Not just a general thing that says, hey, if you think of anything I could do better, invite them in. Be a little transparent and invite them in for input in some specific area, in a specific situation or a specific thing you're dealing with and ask for their input. But that's not the end. Then you need to go and begin to put that into practice. If what they're saying is pointing you towards Scripture, towards God's truth, then take that and go put it into practice. And it doesn't end there. After you put that into practice, then I challenge you to go back to that person and follow up and tell them, hey, listen, since we talked, you suggest, I told you about this, you suggested this and, and it pointed me to scripture and, and I, this is what I've been doing. It's what I've been doing. Follow up with them. What's going on? And then maybe perhaps you ask them again, ask them another question. Maybe. But see if you can encourage that relationship to go somewhere because you won't be twisted in with your coach's life immediately. It happens slowly over the course of time. But you're going to have to pursue it. You're going to have to look for it. 
And you're going to have to do it and follow up and go back and do it and follow up and go back and see where that goes. We're starting this series with an enormous ask. An enormous ask. It's a big deal to begin that process of submitting your life to a spiritual coach. But I challenge you to do it. Because we can become good on our own experience, but only our best on theirs. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will seek out a coach like Paul. A coach that will fan into flames the spiritual gifts that you've given us, Father. God, you've given us not a spirit of fear. It can scare us to death to think of submitting our lives to a coach because we want to be independent, but we take that all the way to isolation. But God, you've given us not a spirit of fear and not a spirit of being timid, but of power and of love and God of self-discipline. And that's what it's going to take, Father. Will you help us a spiritual coach? God, I expect that if we have someone here today who submits to that, that over the course of time, their lives will be immeasurably different. Their families will change. Their lives will change. And it may even change for generations. Jesus, we ask all of these things in your name. And we ask whatever is true, whatever is your truth, may we put that in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.